Hello, bold and conscious leader. Welcome to our new and refreshed 2022 season of the Bold Conscious Connections podcast, where we bring to you people who have shown special courage, character, and consistency to express themselves fully. After all, as long as we're alive, we want to live a full life, don't we? So our guests that we bring demonstrate that they do not want to die with their gifts because we're all meant to be given gifts that we share with others. And this is how we play our part in raising our collective consciousness in this world through this podcast called Bold Conscious Connections. So without further ado, let me bring on our guest today. If you are a startup founder, an entrepreneur, or an employee contemplating entrepreneurship, or someone trying to understand what it takes and what it means to create a business, well, then this conversation is for you, my friend. I spoke with Edwin Hanshu, CEO of One Canto, which is an emerging technology company. And, you know, like many of us who are corporate employees, Edwin was an employee of a renowned bank in the US. He had lofty ideas of a business he wanted to create and what it meant to contribute to the world. And as you know, that turning points are what make our lives interesting and they become part of our journey. So listen to Edwin's turning points when he was on a trip to Asia on his honeymoon and how his journey of entrepreneurship began. So let me not stand between you and this conversation with Edwin. I am so delighted to welcome Edwin Hanshu, CEO of One Canto. Before we get started, I'm going to just uh, say a couple of quick things, and then Edwin, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. But so, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I want to let people and listeners know that One Canto is a client of mine, and I've been so impressed with Edwin that I broke tradition to bring a client onto this podcast, particularly in the business that we're in. I'm so impressed with his, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I, and I believe Edwin is a demonstration, you know, is an epitome and a demonstration of what he does thoroughly, deliberately, and very detailed. So Ed, welcome to the show. Pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Sure. So, you know, people will want to know who you are. I'm going to put a lot of your bio on in the show notes, of course. But what I'd like to first start by saying is maybe you can Tell the listeners who you are as opposed to what you do. Who is Edmund? You know, it's a great question. I find that who I am is inextricably linked into what I do because so much, even if I wasn't doing it for work, I would be immersed in it for joy. But I'm a student of the markets. I love finance, politics, the world at large, economics, how people think, why they think that way. And outside of that, obviously, a wife, child excellent part of my life and uh, also enjoy spending time outdoors and traveling. But don't travel as much anymore, but but will one day, maybe when the youngest goes to college. Well, you know, the inextricably linked part is always what I get fascinated by because a lot of our, a lot of my listeners or uh, viewers tend to be people who are CXOs or corporate people like me became entrepreneurs and like you. So that's something we'll talk about. Those interested in a little bit about who you, you know, what you do. So you're the CEO of One Canto. You uh, worked at Wells Fargo for, I don't know how many years, but several years uh, in the sales and trading group. And you grew the AUM or assets under management to 350 million. Pretty impressive. That's for, uh, I guess, in the wealth management side of the business, I'm going to assume sales and trading yeah, before that. I managed 350 in AUM. Mm -hmm. And so what struck me in, in your bio was about 
your desire to be free. And a lot of what I talk about in our bold conscious leadership programs is about how to feel free in a restricted world. Nothing to do with the pandemic, but you know, feeling free is freedom that can be viewed in different ways, not the traditional ways of freedom of speech and writing, et cetera, but feeling free to do what you need to do. So perhaps, and you know, stories make the world go around, Ed. So, you know, what's the story that made you make that leap and what was going on before you decided to take the bold step of being an entrepreneur? Yeah. I mean, if we go back far enough, I never really enjoyed being told what to do as a child growing up. That carried through school and college and then my first place of employment. Admittedly, I was an awful employee. I would do what needed to be done. Why do you say admittedly? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't think most people like to admit that they're an awful employee. So I didn't like working for somebody else so much that I would over excel so I could do other things in my free time. Some of those things ended up becoming one conto. Mm. Um, so it wasn't that I didn't want to work. It's just I wanted to work on things that I wanted to work on. But yeah, I, you know, I just have always valued freedom of movement, expression, thought ties into freedom of speech, you know, some of these other things that mm. we take for granted here in America. And I learned that traveling, particularly in Asia how much more confined you are in regards to what you can say and to degrees kind of think. Started working at Wells Fargo, enjoyed it, learned a lot. Probably where I picked up a lot of my detail-orientedness. My managing director still is a shining example of how to run a financial services business. He's excellent. Paul Baker um, at Wells Fargo. And I learned a lot there, but always wanted to work for myself or you know, be entrepreneurial. Did three weeks in Asia for a honeymoon, and that really opened my eyes to what life could be like. You know, it was like the first time I was de-stressed in a while, and what life could be like if I took a little more risk and and went out and did stuff. So, tell me more about that point of decision making. When we, you know, we we always have that, right? Because I was at Morgan Stanley for many years, and prior to mm-hmm. that, so you know, I had my thirty year corporate life, and so you know, you always have this new bar that keeps. Okay, when I get this thing done then I'll quit because deep down I was an entrepreneurial guy, not necessarily knew anything about how to start a new business and, and from scratch and get to the first you know, milestone of a million dollars in revenue, et cetera, et cetera. But because you always had that implied support of the firm, but when you're doing it on your own, it's, it's a whole different ballgame. So what was going on that made you realize, and you said there were some realizations while you were in Asia on your honeymoon? So Asia was what, September, 2017. I then, we incorporated what is now Wonkanto Inc. in January of 2018. So I was fresh back, right, from the honeymoon. And I decided that, you know, I wanted to do something else. I wanted to do more. And it just so happened that, fortunately, my brothers have been nagging me about getting into buying Bitcoin, learning about it. I pushed it aside many times and finally took a look at it and uh, saw some issues in the space that I thought could be solved. And frankly, I really just jumped. We started in January and then tried a couple of different ways to build out the product using external resources. Mm-hmm. And then it came to uh, the conferences and the workload and what have you that September of 2018 is when I left Wells. And I left it. I had a $500,000 offer from a, another, not from Paul. He wasn't going to pay me that much mm-hmm. money, but another group within Wells to, to stay. And I turned it down because I just felt that there was two things. One, there was more opportunity going out. And also I couldn't pass it up. It's like, you know, I Mm. didn't have a kid. I just got married. My Mm. life was as uncomplicated as it was going to be going forward. And I could always go back and do what I was doing. It wasn't that big of a risk, right? 
but yeah, it was something starting a company from scratch without prior experience. And I guess the only way you get that experience is by doing it. But yeah, just kind of just jumped. So before we get to what one Kanto is in in a simple way that people can understand, what's the feeling when you started in September 18 versus today, almost five years later? I mean, it's less stressful today, right? Less stressful. When you're, yeah, 100% less stressful today. This is how I equate it. When I was starting, it feels like you're thrown into a maze without a flashlight and the room's dark. So just trying to find your way, bumping into things, picking up things, learning as you go. And today, much clearer. And, you know, as you build an ecosystem and a company and there's less that you personally have to do, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that it's like, oh, you can now slack. It's just that at the start, you're wearing every single hat. And as you're able to, you hire people that are better than you at various things and they get to put that hat on. So that takes stress off of you or off of me anyway. Uh, the optimism's always been there though. I was never worried or afraid or scared or whatever. Sometimes it was a little just stressful not knowing what the right next move is, but also knowing that it's just more important to make a next move as opposed to not do anything. Where does that come from, do you think? Because you strike me, having interacted with you for like, what, seven or eight months now, a very wise man beyond his years. And that's an assumption that people, you know, could make all, you know, you, you make assumptions about life because you kind of understand it. But a lot of people can't figure out what does it mean to make a move like that? And wow, he's been at five years and now it's probably less stressful. But what was it like when you started? Was it really crazy? Did it take a year or two or three? Or what were those? Yeah, the, the period from... The period from January of 2018 to when we raised our first outside capital, because we were self-funded, shoestring, you know, really, uh, and I find this, you know, we were built around a technological innovation that at first, you know, we had to prove out to ourselves that it actually worked, right? We could piece it together and we took it many areas and we were able to affirm and confirm that it was unique. It was proprietary, you know, this is something new that we were able to develop. But with that, it was an invention and you have to go through the hard steps of not just product market fit and all those things that when you're cobbling together other resources into a, a unified package, right? You have to go through all the technical diligence and prove out that the proof concept works, the alpha works, the beta works. You have to go through, thankfully, I have a, my brother's my co-founder. He is a brilliant engineer. So I didn't have to go through line by line of code. That would have made me, I would, I would never been able to do it, but there's a lot of proving to go first and then you get first dollars in, things like that, first clients, first use cases. The pressure actually came off when we raised our first round of outside capital because, I mean, at that time it was July of 21. My son was going to be born in four months mm -hmm. and we were admittedly very, Mike and I were like two to four weeks away. Like we had our, we've depleted our savings, depleted credit. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, yeah. We had to, if, if we weren't able to raise that, we really were going to have to look at, okay, maybe we back burner this and revisit later. So would you say your brother is, if he wasn't the guy that he is, and you can tell me, tell us more about that on uh, to our listeners, that you wouldn't have done this? I don't know if I would have done, I can tell you I wouldn't have done it in the exact same way with the exact same service, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was fortunate enough to ask Mike a, a question that tied into something that he was working on both in his head and on paper for like four years prior. And he was able to have his aha moment at the right time to allow us to move forward. So I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know what it would have looked like 
if I don't really worry or think too much on hypotheticals like that. So, okay, we'll move away from hypotheticals. So since we talked so much about one Kanto as to let's have a quick couple of elevator pitch, if you will, what one Kanto is and what is it, what does it do? And what is your vision ultimately to build this? Yeah. So I'll, the formation of one Kanto was to create a world where you can trade any asset to any asset at the best price. So making that the standard. What Wonkanto is today is an any asset to any asset, best price execution liquidity provider. Uh, we operate a service called 1K Prime that has an OTC API web app trading available. Uh, it's multi-currency, currently digital assets and FX. And we do have resting broker-dealer application to go into equities and other assets as time goes on. And where it's going in the future is continuing to build up and expand the 1K Prime service offering. And the focus always being on best price, high quality service, and using that as our differentiator. And then a uh, non-custodial zero counterparty risk execution venue, which we call IDX or interdealer exchange. And we see that as solving massive issues that are abound in both traditional finance and the digital asset space. So can you simplify that a little bit more so that people can get what it is? Because otherwise it'll be like, this is rocket science. It's not for me. Much already not, when people it's not are talking about science. But crypto, yeah, crypto winter my... and all these things that people are talking about, people go, Oh, this is crazy. What is he, what is he doing? So I know that everybody asserts other platforms assert that the best price, the best execution, the, and so on. How can you say that? And why does that why is that true? So we have a rocket scientist that put together the right math that ensures that that's what happens. So we leverage the entire market to ensure we're achieving best price. And that allows us to provide tighter spreads to clients, which means better pricing, while we're also able to you know, keep a similar markup as, as competitors. And be able to pass on all that saving clearly to, to clients. Right. Well, yeah. So we provide a tighter price than others, while our margins are effectively similar to others. Mm -hmm. And that's because of, of the technology on the back end. Mm -hmm. So clearly, um, clients are attracted to you. So uh, what is the way that you get clients to attract, you know, to be attracted to you? The way we attract clients, a lot of which are come through marketing campaigns. So we build top of funnel, right? Put them through process and then come to an onboard, as well as network and referrals. Sure. Those are stays, mainstays. And then we have just, um, we have a, our sales team is now exploring partnerships and ways to get ourselves out there on a referral basis. So that way we can expand our reach. Right. So your clients, to be, to be clear for everybody here, is that they're institutions, they're broker dealers, they're banks, they're fill in the blanks for me. Institutions and B2B, right? Mm -hmm. Just because a, a number, a segment of our client base wouldn't really consider themselves institutional. Like the corporate payment like FX platforms, they consider themselves more of a B2B service. And, but yeah. In terms of a treasury at a corporate, you know, wanting to manage their cash. Yeah. Okay. Treasury wanting to manage their cash, um, remittance platforms or corporate payment platforms where somebody has to send $50,000 from mm -hmm. Iowa to Germany to cover some part. Right. Uh, we also, we see a lot of, of uh, Asian interest in USDT in particular converting mm -hmm into and out of dollars and that's to circumnavigate the the slowness of usd international wires as well as the cost so we're able to process and create a more efficient 24 7 market that allows importers exporters 
to reduce their friction as well. I know uh, as your representative out there helping you with other raising capital, et cetera, we've talked a lot about the, the fact that you believe in this, in this new world that you described earlier of, of what you visualize. Uh, it includes equities, bonds. Of course, you're already doing FX. Is that realistic in, in most of our lifetimes? Equities could be traded I mean, on your platform? Digitally. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Equities in the coming years will be traded on our platform. That's, others have done it. It's not, it's not a tough nut to crack. <laughs> right. So you know the so, players and the intermediaries in the market are probably, if they listen to this, they go, oh my God, is this, even, this is really going to happen? Yeah. And what we like, what I like, and I think the flow will go is going off of how we pair assets with each other. We can natively do Apple Bitcoin, Tesla Bitcoin, vice versa. And realistically, because of regulations and government rules and regs, you can't actually have them trade natively on the same venue at mm -hmm. present. We stitch the markets together, get a best price optimization and allow for the user, whether it be an institution or eventually a retail, the end retail user that's processing the order to have their wishes fulfilled. So I'm going to switch gears. Ed, because this podcast is really about bold conscious connections and we talk about bold leadership. So none of what you're doing is for the faint of the heart, for sure. And if someone listening to this were very senior in corporate, having ladder, climbed many ladders and, and, you know, have this little itch that they have that unique gift that they've been given, you know, by God and whatever in there, in there that they need to express themselves in the form of a business or, or something else. It could be from a pizza maker to to the guy that you know runs runs big companies or founds big companies, what does it take to be bold? And you know, therefore, because without courage, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing, trying to really shift huge markets. So, what does it mean when I say bold, and why is that important in in our work today and your work today, specifically? I think most people overestimate the risk in making career moves. Right? If you're assuming you're the person that can actually go and run your own company and do something, then what is your actual risk, right? You're not facing financial ruin if you screw up. You're facing that you're going to have to go work for somebody else again, right? I mean, that's effectively it. So I think most, when they're, they're coming to the precipice of, of making a decision to move and do something themselves, is they don't look at, oh, I'll just get a job that's exactly the same as I'm doing now, or maybe even a little better. They look at it as, I'll be destitute, right? I'll go and I'll take this leap and there will be no safety net, there will be no nothing, and I'll just land on my face and I'm destroyed. I think people have a tendency to make it, you know, mountain out of a molehill or mole whatever. And that's not the case, right? So they let their fear play on them. When in mm. actuality, like when you break down what's the worst that can happen to you, going bankrupt isn't really awful. It's not ideal. Losing, not succeeding sucks, but you're also assuming that you're a capable individual in, in your current role. You're going to have a similar lifestyle as what you left. I just think people overestimate what the trade-off is and what mm. the risk is. And when you look at it, like how bad can it be? You're not going to die, right? You're not going to die doing die. this. Yeah. Well, you're not going to die because you chose to start your own business. Exactly. You're going to eventually die, whether that's today, tomorrow, or 50 years from now, whatever it is. But it's not because you chose to do your own startup and try to get venture capital funding and build a business and build your dream. You might succeed. You might fail. You might do a number of things, but none of them are irreversible. Well, that's very important, guys. Those who are listening and watching, this is a big lesson right there. I'm on my sixth, so hey, you know, in 19 years, and looks like I'm just doing a lot of learning and, and none of my And business. you're still alive. And I'm still alive. See, you don't die. That's right. 
And so this is your first. So I really wish you really the very best. And so, you know, you're going to have pivots in life. And, you know, this business may turn into something different. And you are one guy that I know doesn't anticipate that, but you will pivot with it. Is that fair to say? I mean, we pivoted right out the gate, actually. We, you know, my background was high net worth facing. I approached the markets that were entered into as a consumer, as a retail pro trader type aspect. And we originally built the product out to be retail focused. We were thinking that that was the interest. Thankfully, very quickly, we got interest from institutions on the best price execution side, and we quickly pivoted. Oh, this is what we should be doing, not this retail side. So we pivoted fresh out the gate. And then in process of raising money, especially when you're trying to find product market fit and everything else, there's many pivots all along the way. Yeah. Yeah, we, we looked at, I'm going to launch it at some point. We have this great concept, blueprinted, even web app already developed. It's a corporate FX treasury management application called Fisk. And that's backburnered, but I think we'll eventually bring it back. And that was to try and win an investor that was originally interested in that in early 2020, right? So it's pivots along the way, but they're, you know, you know where you want to get to, but it's never a straight line. So you oscillate around that and each one's a pivot. You know, you'd be surprised, even though, uh, despite what you said earlier about people's fears of not leaving, sometimes it's the tiniest of things. It's not that they will go bankrupt. A big one that I hear, and I speak with a lot of individuals who are founders and entrepreneurs now, and some that are still stuck in their you know, career there. And I say stuck because they know they're stuck. They don't know how to become unstuck. So they, they still have a major fear of theirs is losing their lifestyle. Because you know, one of the things that does happen is when you leave the job, you don't have an assistant, a secretary, or the infrastructure of the big brand you work for, or any brand I you work for. I still don't have an assistant or a secretary. So well, I know I'm just saying that how and the lifestyle of like, you know, having getting used to a certain way of, you know, whatever you eat or drink and where you live. And that could change because you just don't know what's coming in an entrepreneurial. That's what people are afraid of. Does that resonate with you? It does. Like I said, I feel like I made the change early enough in life where, you know, I wasn't making a million dollars a year, nor am I now. But my point is my lifestyle you know, went from something to effectively nothing when we were shoestring, right? But it resonates. But again, it's like, do you actually want what you really want, right? If you value the kind of car you have over what kind of company you can build in the future lifestyle you could have, then, you know, just be happy with what you have. But if you actually aren't happy with what you have and you want more, whether it be more freedom, more assets, more whatever, you know, you do have to take risk because people don't just give you things. Right. So that's a that's a great point because, you know, you may have to sacrifice something, but if your desires or desire or enthusiasm outweighs for what you're building, the pain you might go through, because we all will go through some pain to, and sacrifice certain things, your lifestyle or or be more disciplined than you were in a corporate job. Which that's is guaranteed to happen, guaranteed. by the way, like the guaranteed. And I think that that's part. amazing that how the fear of losing that comfort is paramount. Number one reason why people don't quit their jobs. That yeah. to me was Which is, revealing. I forget who said it, but like comfort, the way I view it, right? That comfort is just the chains that are tied to a ball. You end up becoming sort of not exactly a slave, but you kind of put yourself into a slave position where you are giving up autonomy and direction of your life because somebody gave you a bonus. It just doesn't resonate with me at all. 
Like I would rather make $40,000 a year doing what I wanted to do and like try and make my own way than multiples of that having to do exactly what somebody else told me to do. So good. So good. Like one of my former bosses who used to tell in our managing director speeches, we pay you just enough so you don't quit. Now that number could be a million or two, but they just pay you enough because you won't quit and go to competition or somewhere else. But it was the very thing that was the catalyst for me to make my move. Yeah. It's just the weirdest thing. Like, oh, it's not about what I get paid because I want that freedom. I don't want to be told what to do every single day by somebody. It's obviously not for everybody. Yeah. And I love all the employee, like the employees and the team that we have and the advisors and investors are, you know, we would not be here without them today. Sure. Should any of them want to start up their own company, like our employees, I would love to support them in any way possible. I would much rather see somebody leave to start up their own company and their own idea than to go somewhere for like $5,000 and an extra week off guaranteed mm. vacation, right? Like whatever the case may be, whatever, you know, mm. it's, and I think there's PayPal obviously did that very well. A number of companies do that very well where mm. employees can like incubate an idea or on their mm. own leave and then they get supported, which is nice. Yeah, and that's a rarity anyway. And I think if those firms that promote that is is why people gravitate to them. So the other word rather is conscious in my the work that I do. What do you think of consciousness? What does it mean to you? And then do you have any practices to sustain that for you? I think like at the end of the day, I think we're all just the same. I think mm -hmm. we're all one. So consciousness is everywhere. We're vibrational forces that materialize into what it is that we see. And there's more of it that we can't see. We just haven't developed the tools to see everything, right? Infrared light didn't exist until we could see it. That's like x-rays and everything else, cosmic background, radiation, whatever. And do I have any practices? Not really. I feel like I have a very solid understanding and I don't have to reinforce it or revisit it. I, it's, I just feel like well, I've progressed. This is more to share if, if there are people wanting to say, what, what do you do, uh, Edwin, that allows you to be who you are. So there must be something. People think there is a mystery. So I know you and I get along for this reason, but you know, there's more, it's all energy out there and, and it's dark and it's all space and there is silence. The reason we hear sound is because there is silence. To your point about the red light, if, if there wasn't darkness, you wouldn't see the light. So there's much more blank space out there than, than what we see. So it's infinite, but it takes something. I don't mean you do certain things, but you're, you're aware that allows you to be able to feel that, the unknown or whatever it is. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I did do, before starting One Canto, I did, I would say, a good amount of like work on growing my skill set on and becoming comfortable with whatever, however mm -hmm. that gets worded. So we have the words for it, probably for six years, five years before that, mm -hmm. that allowed, that gave me the basis to move forward. Because I can tell you in 2011 or 2010, when I was 2010, when I was getting started at Wells, as soon as I became an employee, I knew I didn't want to be an employee, but I didn't have the balls to like actually just go and do it and leave. So it was over the course of the next seven, eight years, seven years, I guess, seven, eight years where I was able to get to the point where kind of in line with the, what, what our conversation's been today. Sure. I mean, for me, it's and about as far as meditating and walking. So those are just my practices. But if you had certain things that allow you to, uh, I mean, I Books. I went to Tony Robbins. That was good. Enjoyed that. Jeffrey Combs was a really good 
teacher mentor that I worked with for a little bit. He was really good. As far as additional things that I do, I just try not to take things because everything always works. At the end of the day, like I said before, it's not like you're going to do any of it until you actually do. I just don't overthink it. I could probably use meditation and some of those mm-hmm. other things. I just oh, that's okay. I don't know. We don't have just, to do uh, anything. We don't. We don't want to do. I like the idea of it. Every time I try to do it, I have like really bad ADD, and I actually had to Google how do you actually meditate because, mm-hmm. and I I still wasn't able to do it. So and I tried doing it at night, and I would fall asleep. That supposedly means it works, but I, I don't know. It's all good, Ed. It's all good. We can talk about meditation techniques uh, offline. So in terms of where I was asking you a question earlier, I think we may have cut out. So definition of success to you versus what, what it was and how has it changed over these 10 years and the last five since you started this company? I think success is just being happy with the life that you have at any given point in time. If it's tied to a future mm-hmm. thing, you're, in my opinion, destined to be miserable in the present. So yeah, I mean, I think I'm, regardless of what our market cap is or how the race goes or the company goes. You know, I have a wife, kid, family that I love. Blue skies outside. It's nice. I get to do what I want. I already feel successful. And I felt successful at Wells, too. I just felt like I didn't want to have a boss. And then that I wanted to, like, more challenge. The the job at Wells was way too easy. It was just, like, I would have a year's worth of work done in the first quarter. And it's like, what else are you going to do for the rest of the nine months? You know? (laughs) That's great. So yes, that's another important concept because if you, you know, no matter what you do, if you're doing it with intention and purpose, you'll feel successful. I mean, that's the, that's what you're saying. Success isn't a destination. It's like you can feel successful and live, you know, daily. And, Mm -hmm. but if you set it to a destination, it's like, and money is such an arbitrary marker. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'll feel successful when I have X in the bank. And then you get there and you're like, well, X actually isn't that much because the government inflated the currency 20% year over year. And now I need this much more. I mean, it helps to buy buy watches and cars, as we know, and and money's not a bad thing. I like watches and cars. Yeah. Uh, Nothing nothing wrong with those things. But like, I didn't didn't feel more successful when I got a watch or when I bought a car. I got this watch from Morgan Stanley. Nice. It was a 25 year, no, sorry, 20 year, I think it was, um, anniversary present it's good to see you still actually it might have been i think it says on the back 15 because i was only there for 18 so yeah i must have been 15 yes i wear it once in a while because you know these days i wear this on the other hand so sometimes i have two watches on so what would you say in your life thus far and you have a long life ahead of you god god willing have been your couple of leadership lessons for you that you hold dear to your heart sometimes the harder you push the slower things go a lot of times, the harder you push, the slower things go immediately. And then even if it gets the thing done, there's ripple effects that are just more of a pain in the ass than if you weren't pushing as hard. Trying to hold others to the standard that you hold for yourself. I've learned, I think the standard I hold myself to in terms of work and like diligence and just everything is not the same standard you should just hold employees to. It's not. It's it's not fair. And then that leads to burnout. And then it just causes more fires that you have to put out. They can be put out. It's just not worth it. Yeah. And, you know, making sure that the largest is hiring right and firing fast. Finally picked that one up, I believe, after this, after March, March of this year. So hiring right, we've been very focused on that. 
and especially with the size of our team, you know, we're under 15 employees. So it's really important, right? Because a weak link is, is a considerable amount of your team. So you hire appropriately. And we did, we hired everybody we've hired has been like best of breed. They're just phenomenal. We attract really, 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 really good people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because of the problem space that we're solving um, on the technical side. I know it's because of Mike's engineering prowess and, mm-hmm. and just the vast amount of knowledge he has. Firing, we don't, we didn't fire people quick enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and that causes, again, more issues mm-hmm. than, you know, you might save yourself an awkward conversation because you, because you end up liking people, which makes it sure. harder yeah, exactly. to hire them. But if they're not working, like we've fired people and production went up and I was, again, that's, that hurts to see. It's good you do it and it's good to get it. But I would say, yeah, firing faster. And I think that's a little off tangent from the question. I mean, you could tie into the next one, which is going to be asked you. So what advice would you give to, you know, as I said, these corporate leaders or otherwise navigating today's uncertainties that they think are unusual and it's unusual for them because they haven't encountered let's say the five economic cycles, down cycles I've been through, or maybe a couple you've been through, what advice would you give to people who are figuring or trying to figure this out? If you're unsure of the path ahead on, like, if you want to be on the path in the company that you're in, right? And that that could also be, you know, if you're in corporate America, it's very possible there's not enough people ahead of you that are going to retire, move on, or get promoted for you to actually move on. So you're stagnated, right? You could be, a, you could stuck at director, VP, whatever mm-hmm. level. And you won't be able to move forward. I think, and I tried to get my cousin to do this. I think the best thing to do in that situation is to not start your own company because that is a big jump, right? Because you're Mm. effectively going to zero. Go find like a a series A or a B company that you would be, you would get a promotion more than likely. They'll pay you and it'll be a brand new experience, even if you're in a similar field. My cousin didn't take me up on it. I understand. I think that's a way to make life more exciting. If you're in the same position for 12 years, which is a lot, a lot of corporate America, you're in the same position for relatively, if you hit that level, the only way to really spice it up is to go into a startup, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. once you do a year, two years, three years in a startup, that's like 10. Mm-hmm. And you can come back to corporate America if you want and jump over that, that ceiling, right? That stasis, or you can keep living in startup land or do your own startup. But it's a good way to like a bridge step. Hmm. Yeah, very different times than um, when I used to be in corporate America, where people didn't jump. There was more about loyalty, and then it was like there was longevity, and you build reputations and all of that stuff. But yeah, in a fast-moving world, that doesn't fly. Yeah, corporate America is not loyal. Yes, for sure. Great. Well, you know, we can go on and on, and we have other conversations anyway besides besides um, that we talk about. So um, I don't take anything for granted. So I've always learned a lot from any conversation we've always had. So so learning and wisdom, all of that happens uh, when we interact with people. So I've learned a lot from you all these months working with you and learning never stops. It's a co-creative process. And so f- uh, me or my audience don't want to take any of this for granted. So we appreciate your presence here. And in that context, uh, one last thing, uh, Ed, is what discoveries might you have had in this conversation? What discoveries might have had in this conversation? Typically, the first thing you say isn't the best thing you say. So even if you're in a conversation, it's like, you know, your first thought, your second or third thoughts, probably the one, right? Because you get to think, mull it over, what have you. 
I should probably try meditating or put something else around that, like that, into into my my daily routine. As we're going through this raise, and I'm going to uh, you know, continue building out our our leadership team, right? I have to get in the head more of the people that you're referring to, who are you know corporate America, probably on the precipice of trying to make some change and scout for them to bring them over. So I, I think I need to do a little more work in getting into their head and understanding their point of view to help put mm-hmm. together a solid, solid team going forward. Well, great. I deal with a lot of them. So I can tell you what their pains are and what does it take for them to uh, actually find that courage to do that? Oh, it's a one minute decision or less, but to get there takes a very long time. Yeah. Decisions happen in an instant. It's yeah. Yeah, so which is why I, I value, I've had mentors all my life, coaches all my life. I still have coaches. I'm a coach and mentor too. So for me, it's, it's, um, it's always good to, good to have interactions and keep ourselves alert. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much uh, for being Thank here. Thank you. And all right. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Roger. Thank you. Sounds good. I really hope you enjoyed this episode today. We strive to bring you conversations that make you think, reflect, and perhaps inspire you to take even one little step in your path towards personal growth and greater wisdom. Please download the show or the podcast episode that you just heard and leave us a comment so that we can continue to bring you meaningful and relevant topics in the future. Take care and thank you so much.